everybody. Welcome back to Letterman Row. I am Austin Ward. This is Letterman Live, brought to you by Roosters. We are still not in a physical Roosters yet, but I promise you very soon uh, we will be as the rules around Ohio uh, phase back in so we can go back in public and eat and not have to get uh, all the ter- carry out and take out that we've been doing. Uh, Jeremy Birmingham from Letterman Row joining me. And once again, we've got this uh, one-two combo over here, Jay-Z, Justin Zwick, the quarterback, and the difference man down there, Anthony Schlegel, uh, took a week off, but he's back. Uh, boys, uh, good to have you all. We're getting close to maybe getting out of this thing, and I think that uh, last week was good. I asked this question to you last week, Jay-Z, so I'm going to start right here. We talked to Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis in the middle of last week, and I had asked you this about, you know, if a team would stay in a quarantine, if you would have been okay with that to do to get a whole season played. And the one thing that was missing from this, I thought, all along was we talked to the coaches, we had talked to Mark Bantoni, we talked to Mickey Marotti. We needed to hear from the players. And, and Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, they're only two guys. They can't speak for the entire team, although they are two of the most respected leaders on this team. They both said they will do whatever it takes to play the season. And I think that sort of backs up, you know, what you told me you thought might happen with this roster. Yeah, I, you know, so much goes in year-round for these players. Um, if you, you tell them whatever they got to do to play the season, they're going to do it. You know, that's how, they, that's how they're programmed. They're in the weight room, whether it's in the film room. The coaches tell them what they expect, what they need them to do. You go do it. And so, you know, I, I think if, uh, you know, double down, I think they would be willing to do whatever. Sleep at the Woody Hayes if they had to. Give them cops in the, inside the indoor field. I bet they would sleep there and shower there and do everything they could to play that season. Slaves, do you agree with me on that? Yeah, I mean, it's the culmination of everything that you've done your entire career, right? So at the end of the day, you know, they just want to play ball, right? Now, again, dude, they're, they're facing the same trials and tribulations that everybody else is facing as a student, right? Like they don't know what's going on um, from the education standpoint. So they're dealing with that from home. Uh, They're still trying to be prepared because the most prepared team that goes into whenever they open everything up for everybody to train will be the teams that have the competitive advantage, right? So it's all predicated upon um, the culture and the accountability that the coaches have, have built into that program from an individual standpoint so that when they go back, like they are able to perform at a high level. The hardest thing for me, just looking at this holistically, you might have asked, you might want to, you know, probably ask this question last time when I wasn't here. But the thing we're going to run into is, does everything open the same and who has competitive advantages or disadvantages predicated upon the states in which the Big Ten is, right? So we're opening Ohio at the end of this month. When are they going to open Illinois? When are they going to open up Indiana? If those are different, right? Then how's the NCAA going to say, hey, we're going to open it up June 1st, but, you know, potentially um, Illinois is not opening up till June 22nd. I don't, I'm just giving you random yeah. things. And what are the specifications that each state allows you uh, to train in, right? Like I've been talking with a lot of the schools in the Big Ten because they have my product and my other, my second patent and how can we use outside training? Like at the end of the day, they just want to be able to train and their kids just want to be able to play. So you got to be adaptable and come up with solutions. That to me is going to be the next big question that these coaches have to face and administrators have to face are what are the competitive disadvantages and when can we all open up as a conference to then start working uh, with our student athletes because they do need to train before they go into the season a little bit. Right. Yeah. So, so- where do you fall on this, Schlegs? Because you've been involved in that process, and we've talked before about how long you think guys might need to get ready. But let's let's just use this hypothetical and that Rutgers can't start training at the same time as Ohio State. Do you think the entire Big Ten 
should wait? Do you think – because it's not going to be possible for all of college football to be on the same schedule. It's just not. There's 130 teams in 41 states. All those rules are going to be different. But the Big Ten is a smaller sample size. But that's still going to be almost impossible, I think, to navigate. Do you think that that's absolutely necessary? If that means that the start of the season has to be moved back because one or two teams may not have extra three or four weeks in the summer. Well, it's predicated upon what are they doing during those three weeks that it gives them a competitive advantage, right? I mean, if it's like, hey, you can do ball, is it, hey, you can only, you know, train with the kids, right? You can't meet, you can still do the virtual Zoom meetings or whatever that they already are doing. If it's a, a training aspect, that's probably not going to hold anybody back because they're going to say, well, because um, Ohio State can get together, they're still going to limit it, right? You can only have a certain amount of kids that are in the, in the woody at a time, just like they're doing at a regular gym. Like, I don't, you know, we're going over rules that we can do with our kids that want to play baseball over the summer, right? Like, they got to wear a mask when they're in the dugout, you know? I mean, again, all these different parameters that they're putting on there are all the same things that they're going to have to adapt to. I don't see it holding it back based upon the training before the application, before you're, everybody's allowed to be together at, at the same time. I don't see that necessarily as um, a, a stopping, you know, hard stop to where everybody can start. I think they're going to allow kids to go train, but how they do that and how they're adaptable is going to be very different, right? So it might be in New Jersey, hey, you can only train your kids outside. All right, guess what, Rutgers, you don't have an indoor, you know, so they're going to have to train them in the rain. They're going to have to, but you're still training, you know. Ohio State has an indoor. Well, they can be in there. They're still going to limit it to, the amount of quantity of people that can train at the same time, the amount of people that are, you know, able to spot, like, all right, we can't have spotters. We can work around that. Right. So those are the things, because ultimately the things that give us a competitive advantage in the weight room, like the strength gains, everybody's going to be on the same even level. Right. We, we, we all haven't had the things that we're used to. Everybody has that. So it's not an excuse. Right. But being able to go practice football, and running routes and doing those type of things would be a competitive advantage over another school. So those things might be limited to where here's the hard stop. And all this, to, in my honest opinion, is going to be predicated upon what the NFL does, right? It's going to go NCAA is looking at what the NFL does, and it's going to filter down into what we do. Yeah. Um, Burn, we talked about this last Monday that there was just this sense, at least that I had, and, and Jay-Z talked about it too, this, this growing optimism that there is going to be football. I think even from one week to the next, I would say I'm, I'm more confident now. Maybe that's just from listening to Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis describe all the things that as, you know, those guys are, are two of the most mature uh, football, college football players you're ever going to encounter. And they rattled through all the things from uh, being willing to sacrifice with the self-quarantine, that they know they needed temperature checks, that, you know, they knew everything that needed to, to happen for them to play football. And obviously part of that is also coming through those Zoom meetings with the rest of the coaching staff. But I came away, if the players are on board with this, that, you know, and they know the risks and they're willing to sacrifice and maybe some, maybe some players wouldn't want to play. But if Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis are speaking for the other 83 guys, Ohio State seems to be full, fully on board and on the same page with football being played. Yeah, I mean, I think most colleges uh, across the country understand how important football is to their entire university. It's not even just about the kids who – gave up, you know, Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, who were two potential first-round picks this past uh, NFL draft, that gave up that millions of dollars 
to come back and play another year of football. If they don't get a chance to play, that is devastating to them. I mean, devastating. It may be different for a 18 year old true freshman who hasn't been on campus yet. Maybe they want to take more time. Uh, who knows? I mean, everyone's going to be different, but the, the fact is these kids are in a position where I think they're smart enough to understand the big picture. That is a very, very healthy 19, 20, 21 year old. They're at low risk. They know that there are uh, precautions that need to be taken and they're willing to do it. But from a university standpoint, the school has to understand without football, how many things don't happen. And there's no doubt that they will push and push and look for ways to get football to happen because football has to happen. Yeah, that's, I mean, the number there, I've thrown it out before on this show that men's basketball is the only other sport that even can pay for itself, but it doesn't make money. The, the football program pays for the entirety of the athletic department. So if you're talking about 35 other sports that Gene Smith and, and Ohio State are trying to fund, that cannot happen without football. It just can't. And uh, that's Ohio State with one of the biggest budgets and biggest athletic departments in the country. But, you know, we're seeing Akron and Bowling Green just around Ohio cutting sports already um, without, you know, they just, I think they're anticipating the fact that maybe these non-conference games and the payouts are not going to happen. That's a, a big deal. So you're seeing that trickle down already and no games have been canceled. Um, I, I don't mean to paint that as doom and gloom because Jay-Z, I was just going to see if you, where you felt on the, uh, preparedness plan if, the, if you're more confident this Monday than you were last Monday? I, I am. I, I think, you know, I said it last week, I think we're, America wants something to move on to and just, you know, kind of put this in the rear view, even though it's going to still be around. But, you know, we did what we were supposed to. We lowered the curve. Let's get out and live our lives. And if those numbers don't go crazy, yeah, let's just keep adding things and just keep bringing more people back into what they're used to, their normal everyday life. Um, you know, it's not, I feel the same way. I, you know, I'm very hopeful, you know, uh, and it's almost wrong to be hopeful nowadays. You know, if, if you're hopeful that this is going to happen, <laughs> well, you don't care about people this or that, you know, it's like, ah, I'm just, I'm hopeful, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm still there. I was thinking uh, as you guys were talking and Schlegs, you being on the coaching side when you were there for a few years, what if, I mean, what if they just said, Hey, we're not doing any training two weeks before the first game is a, is a date that everybody can kind of agree on. We're just coming to camp right then no no lead up to you have two weeks of practice before you can start a game or before you you know you play a game would that be something that has been has anybody heard of that talked about or Schlegs do you think two weeks getting these guys coming from home like back in the day hey camp starts on this date show up <laughs> in shape or be ready to rock I mean is that you know is that something that could happen here well, uh, Quinn, one of the assistant strength coaches put out a thing, I mean, this was a while ago, but it was looking at the lockout of, of 2011 for the NFL, guys coming back, going to camp, and within the first month, I think, like, they had, like, 12 Achilles ruptures. What's going to happen is you can't simulate football, right? I mean, we can – the number one thing I tell high school students is be in shape, right? Like, again, you can do agility work. You can do running, right? Like – run in an anaerobic state, right? You don't need to go run three miles. That's not the game that you play. You play an anaerobic, aerobic type sport, right? So that's how your conditioning should be. So you should come into camp in shape. The thing that you can't replicate is the cutting, the breaking down of speed of power, the being able to tackle. Those are the fundamentals that they have to be able to work on. And reducing the amount of time before you play, that is gonna be a significant problem because now you're actually putting kids at risk because 
their bodies haven't been able to adapt to the stimulus of the physical contact, right? So again, if everybody's the same, everybody's working out on their own. And again, that's not even the same. Some people don't have access to the weights and things that other people have access to. But the fundamentals of our sport, to being able to strike, to being able to tackle, the, the ability to change direction on multiple surfaces while wearing pads, you can't replicate that without playing football, right? So those are the things that the student athlete has to have to protect them so that they can play at a high level. Because if not, you're going to see Achilles and knees and hamstrings, soft tissue injuries that are significantly greater than we did the year before. So that's where the camp, I think, is going to be a, in my honest opinion, four weeks to kind of, one, two weeks to ooze them back in from a physiological standpoint, then probably a, you know, two to four week strength conditioning type program to a, you know, three week football program that would be camp because just like in the summer, you have spring ball, then you have May Mester, then you have the summer conditioning program, then you have camp. So being able to simulate a little bit of the off season program in the summer to then be ready to go physically for camp and how your body is made up to handle the contact are the things that they're going to be looking at of when this projected, you know, start of the season would, would happen. Because ultimately we talk about the safety of the kids. I mean, you know, I, I told my wife this the other day, you know, my oldest son got the flu vaccine. Everybody else in my family got the flu vaccine. Papa Schlegs does it. The only time I get sick is when I'm run down, stressed, haven't slept, and not hydrating or bending my knees, right? I didn't get flu. My oldest son got flu A and B. Guess how many people in my family got sick? Nobody, right? Why? You're in temperature. You're in your room. You're, you're kind of quarantined from the family. We're all sanitizing. We all shower, right? We bathe, all right? Eat good food. Nobody else got sick, right? So for them, they're going to do the temperature thing. If kid gets sick, they're going to be quarantined. They're going to have the, the, the protocols in place to be able to handle that. But the more pressing issue of the safety, in my honest opinion, is the safety of being able to play our sport at the high level that every fan at Ohio State expects our kids to be able to play the sport, right? So the safety of them being able to block and tackle is the thing that I'm most concerned about going back to playing football. I remember very well. Jay-Z does too. I saw him laughing. It's that shin angle. If you can't get that right, then you're going to get sick. You got to have proper shin technique. Well, you got to have the arch in the back too. I mean, I can't believe he, uh, hydrate, bend he, your left, knee. he left that one out. Right there, man. Right there. Yeah, there it is. Oh, yeah. I don't know why Schlegs hasn't been put on the uh, coronavirus task force yet because he's got we've – been, we've been solving this thing on uh, Letterman Live brought to you by Roosters for months. Right. Doing uh, it all wrong. They don't want me on there. Water and knee bends. We'll make sure that there's football played here. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, guys, I was a little bit inspired to uh, shift gears here by Berm's interview with Luke Fickle uh, that aired on Letterman Row on Monday morning. He asked him about the most painful Ohio State loss of his career. So I know what Berm's answer is here, but I'll let him go first. I just – you know, to get it away, to talk about something other than the virus, but also maybe not something that everybody wants to pour through. But the worst memory, the worst loss, the most painful one that you can remember Ohio State being a part of, whether you were playing in the game, whether you were on the coaching staff. Um, Berm, I know you've got uh, your pick already. 
Yeah, I mean, to me, I've been thinking about this since talking to Luke the other day, but I think it was the 98 Michigan State game that is the one that stands out the most to me because that 98 Ohio State team, Justin, you would have been, what, a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it, it was the best It was the best team in the country by a wide, wide, wide margin <laughs> the entire year. I mean, they were they were bludgeoning people week in, week out, similar to last year's team in a way, but – the, the gap between the talent on the 98 Ohio State team compared to anyone else in the country uh, to go lose to Michigan State the way they did, like the weirdest stuff happening, like punts that were fair, kept, fair caught that bounced off a kid's head running down the field. Like that game to Michigan State was probably the worst. Um, but then as, as Luke alluded to, the, the 96 Michigan game was up there as far as uh, the worst. And then the 2015 Michigan State game from a – media perspective and then of course growing up in Ohio and you know being a fan of Ohio State my whole life uh the 2015 Michigan State game because I had to be on the sideline for that one um and in the driving rain and that's all you were were worried about the weather (laughs) yeah because it was the weather of that game (laughs) because the game was so the game was so ugly itself and then you top that with the weather conditions uh in the late November blah in Ohio stadium was pretty bad that night. But um, yeah, those, those are the three that really, even the Clemson loss last year doesn't, doesn't stand out to me as much, even though I thought Ohio state was a better team and should have won the game, but that Clemson team was really, really good. Those other games, those three games, Ohio state was significantly better than Michigan state both those years and Michigan in 96. Legs, what game comes to mind for you? What was what was Fix? Was it were they those? Ninety six. He said he said the ninety six Michigan game. Yeah. Yeah. That was I, a Slegel. I know you were at the time a twenty nine year old in nineteen ninety six, <laughs> in working in the in the military somewhere. But ninety six Ohio general State, in the Air Force. Ohio State <laughs> was uh, Ohio State was up nine nothing at halftime, and had three possessions inside of the five yard line in the first half to take, where where were you were you uh coaching I was, in Texas, man. I was in Texas I was a high schooler so uh and and then Sean Springs slipped and fell on an 86 yard touchdown that Ty Streets uh Ty, Ty Street scored in the third quarter and it changed the entire game and so they lost 13-9 because they couldn't score in the second half because Pepe Pearson and apparently couldn't get the the, the the job done that day, but um, anyway, go on. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure you knew. Well, I mean, our I mean, our mine would be pretty simple: uh, the Texas game and the Penn State game in '05. I I mean, we had we had Texas, right? But I mean, if you go look at that game, that game was lost in the first quarter when we had three turnovers inside their 25 yard line and got three points, right? And when you play a great player like Vince Young, like you have to capitalize on that, just like we saw in the Clemson game, right? You have the opportunities, you have to capitalize, you have to put them away early because they're a great football team. Then you go back and look at the Penn State game where, you know, and again, I speak defensively, we three and outed them the entire second half, right? They ran the opening kickoff back in the second half. They got a field goal and we got beat 17 to, I forget, 10 or seven, right? But yeah, I mean, like that, they had 170 yards of total offense and we got beat. And if you look at that game and then, then USC playing Texas in the final, like I would love to have played USC. I'd love to have a rematch with Texas. Those two games for me, because we were in them, Jay-Z and I were, 
were my biggest losses, um, you know, simply because of the what it could have been from our team that year, right? And I think we really were clicking toward the end, and those kind of losses really helped fuel us toward the end of the season when we were really, really rolling, right? And that's kind of where the playoff is nice because you could have that kind of early loss like we had in 14, right? But then we were peaking at the right time. Like that's kind of what the college football playoff does now is you can suffer a loss early, but you get redemption at the end. And that's when our team was actually probably the best was at the end of the season. No doubt about it. I think when you ask any guy who went through it, Austin, about what the worst game in the history, it's going to be one of their worst games. Yeah. <laughs> like well, that's, that's, of, that's fine too. Yeah. yeah. I remember the 98 and how, how great that team was. I mean, Coop just recruited like crazy. So he just had monsters everywhere. And so I remember that and thinking, man, you know, that sucks. But as a freshman in high school, man, you know, we, they lost, you lose games. It happens. Uh, but being a part of one and having it ripped out from you, I mean, that's uh, so Texas, to me, jumped out right away. Of course, that was probably my last big game that I played in. Um, and, you know, it's just heart-wrenching. Um, you know, we had a great team. You know, the end of that 04 season, that Oklahoma State game, as you know, Alamo Bowl, it was, a, you know, whatever. It was a fun bowl game. But yeah. we were pretty good by the end of that year. And, you know, so coming back into 05, you knew, all right, you know, we got it. We kind of got our act together. We grew up a ton in that 04 season. And we got players everywhere. And so you thought you, you were going to make a good run. You knew you had Texas the second game of the year at night in the shoe. Like, it was just – man, that would have just put us on, a, on an awesome trajectory, I think. But, uh, yeah, that was a tough one. I remember the Penn State, Troy made a bad read. I don't want to throw it on him because everybody's going to say, oh, you're just mad. But, no, he made a dumb read, and he threw the ball to the sideline and picked six. You know, that's how they beat us, I think. You know, I think that was the only touchdown that uh, they, they had in the second half. Well, they had one where we had, I think they got a short field on a fumble or something, right? They had a pick six and they had a fumble or something. That was a short field that they punched in and then they ran the, the opening kickoff back to where they kicked the field goal. Like that was the yeah, that was it. entirety was of that play. game in a wide out. And you're just like, man, you can't do that. Um, you know, that, it's the same. To, to throw that back, it's crazy how football is because you, you as you're saying that, I think back to – 0-2 Penn State at home, our offense probably had like 50 yards total offense. But right. our defense, Chris Gamble took one of the house. You know, we had – so it was kind of like just the flips. You know, it was, it was just a different game. It's just like that's kind of how things went when, when we were there. You know, we came – That was the – that was almost – that was the entire second half of the 0-2 season, though. Well, you guys. yeah, you're right. <laughs> Everything went perfect for those guys to win those games. It was, it, you know, it just kind of happened differently for us. You know, Justin, I wanted to ask you about the Iowa game in 2004. Oh, oh. Because oh. that was um, – You guys didn't know what you were getting man. into this week, I promise you. Yeah, That's I mean, uh, I, Listen, need, uh, I need to get back here and pour me something after this. I, 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 was, I, was living, I was living in Arizona at the time. You like, were? I, 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 always, I always loved watching, you know, games. I, I don't remember a game in the early part of my life that was as bad for Ohio State as that game was. What the hell happened? 33 to 7 final. 33 to 7 final, but it was much worse than that. Oh, it was much worse. And that was a late, late touchdown to a young Rory Nickel, I think, you know, at the end of the fourth quarter uh, after we just started putting guys in because we were getting our butts kicked. Uh, you know, that, that was a weird one because we had just come off the overtime loss the week before to Northwestern right. uh, out there. And, you know, in overtime, that stunk. That whole game did. And we go into – the pink locker rooms in Iowa, and they just owned us. I mean, 
I just I got dislocated my shoulder. And I think the second series of that game, it was minor, but it was my throwing shoulder, so that really hurt. But it was just uh, nothing went right for us. I mean, I think one of our tackles had a sack in that game because Matt Roth just kind of threw him into the quarterback. Uh, you know, it was just uh, it was a rough go. It was one of those games where it's like, what was that? When we went to Purdue and just got, you know. Like it was just kind of that game where it's like right. nothing went right. We couldn't figure anything out, and they were just hitting on all cylinders. But that was uh, that was probably it was su- it was such a rarity in the Jim Trestle area. It was such a rarity in the Jim Trestle era to look that out coached that I I didn't really understand it. So I don't know why I've never asked you guys about it before. But that game was so probably such an anomaly. Bearing their feelings. Yeah, I mean that game was that game was such an anomaly in the in the Trestle era. Because every other loss was sort of like, you know, the, the, the LSU loss in the national championship game. That LSU team was just significantly better. Um, most of the other losses, even the USC loss, the 38-3 to loss in 2008, um, that USC team was just better. And it was a freshman, Ter- Terrell Pryor, who shouldn't have been playing probably. Mm-hmm. But the Iowa game was just – that one stands out to me because I was like, what in the world is going on here? Yeah, so like, do you remember any any of that? Yeah, I mean, I was I'm born I was born in Iowa, and I had all my family there, and <laughs> I, I actually I actually had like 15 tackles, and I mean, but we got smoked. He like, had a good game, Slade. Who cares if you have <laughs> yeah. a good game when you get your face pounded in, you yeah. know? And it, you know, and then we then we got beat by Purdue uh, on a last set on a last you know two minute drive, right? And you know, the, here's the thing, though. Like, you look at those losses, but then I saw the gains after the Purdue, right? Because then oh, yeah. sitting after Purdue, we were three and three, and then we end up going six and one or five and one at the end. That kind of, you know, put us into this 2005 season. And, you know, 2004 was unique in the fact that we just had 14 guys drafted. Yep. And it was a it was a, a true rebuilding year as far as leadership and identity of our team. And it kind of really moved us forward into that, then their run of the end of 2005 and the 2006 and 2007 national championship, um, you know, of what those guys were able to do. So I look at it as, I always look at those things as a positive. Again, I'm like you, Jay-Z, I'm always optimistic. I'm always hopeful um, and so I, I view the losses as to the character building that it really did, because then going into 2005, all of us were like, man, we are not having another year like that because you can't roll your helmet out there. It was more of a wake up call for Ohio State football uh, that you just can't roll out the, the scarlet and gray and the silver bullet helmets and say, hey, we are who we are. No, you got to go work at it and perfect that craft. Even though we have the talent, you still got to go execute on Saturdays. And we weren't executing in those three losses, right? So did, well, did that was, make winning the 2004 Michigan game your favorite win against Michigan? The way you guys went up to Ann Arbor and won that one? No, we won. It was at home. 2004. Yeah, it was at home. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, that was to but, that was for the Rose Bowl. But you know what? Here's the, the thing about that game was it 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 validated what we had, right? So then you looked at well, how did we have those losses, right? And it was from. It was the preparation. It was the execution. Like regardless of who you are, you could have all the talent in the world. If you don't execute, you're going to get beat by inferior opponents. And you're going to get beat by them handily, right? Because basically the same Iowa team showed up at in Columbus, Ohio, the following year, and we beat the brakes off of them, 
right? Drew Stan couldn't do anything. Bobby had like three or four sacks that game. Like they couldn't do anything offensively. And so then you had a same defense. They gave up 33 the year before. They just gave up seven, right? And then at that Michigan game, you had Braylon Edwards and you had them going to the Rose Bowl and winning the Big Ten that year. And we beat them 37 to 21. I mean, like, how does that stuff happen? Well, it happens because we were prepared, we executed, we handled adversity. And these are the things that we're capable of doing when we go execute. But guess what? Big time college football, you have to execute on a weekly basis, right? So it just kind of validates the things that the coaches are always telling you. And again, as a, you know, 18 to, you know, 27 year old, you know, I'm just kidding. I was too uh, You're like the first Australian rules punter that ever uh, ended up on the last Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But you know, those are, those are the lessons learned, right? At the end of the day, it's the fundamentals and the execution that win the game, that win the, the big games, right? When all, everything is equal. So it just showed that we could do it, right? And so that was a big time. My, my, my biggest win at Ohio State, obviously, for me is 2005, you know, up there, right? Uh, and that was kind of one of the things where it was back and forth every year. Who, who was at home had the advantage? Well, not so fast, my friends. We won that game. We won it. It was close, right? We ended up winning it at the end of the game. But that kind of turned the tides for the run that we were on now, right? Where you, you, the only loss that we had was in 11, of which we were in that game, you know? And that was in itself an a, a anomaly of a year, right? So, yeah, anyways. Yeah. I'm glad you guys answered the question that way with your own experience because when you think about the one that I would pick, and I know Berm gives me a hard time all about that I don't have the – the long institutional memory that you three do or that he does growing up in it. Um, but I, I think about the one that I, I believe I'll be talking about forever, which is the, the Clemson game and the Fiesta Bowl this year and how that impacts Chris Olave going into 2020. Because obviously that's a missed opportunity, one that I feel like was snatched away. Um, the what-if scenarios, we don't have to play all those out again. We did that throughout January and February. But I feel like that one is going to take the place of the 15 game that I covered – uh, forever being, you know, reminded of the, the overturned fumble and the Sean Wade ejection and J.K. Dobbins injury and so on and so forth. That one, you know, that, that I think is harder to wrap your mind around when it wasn't uh, a, a loss or a bad play or, or bad play calling because Ohio State deserved to win that game. But Chris Olave did have, does, is going to have that memory. We've talked about, you know, to Brian Hartline and Mickey Murati about the way he's attacked the offseason. He's not going to be worried about uh, – you know, Jordan Fuller or Jeff Okuda or Sean Wade, he's going to be thinking about that play for him and how he could have executed better. And Justin Fields will have the same mentality that sometimes you have to go through one of these losses uh, as you guys both did to come out of the other side. And uh, I just, I'm curious to see how this pay, plays out, plays out for Chris Olave, how, how this works for Ohio state once they get back to business, because, you know, you've said this a bunch of times, Legs, if you can't, can't handle the adversity you're not ever going to get that reward on the other side yeah Tom Ryan said it beautifully I mean there's nothing worse than wasted suffering and when you when you're on a team right and you make a mistake right open field tackle missed right misread right Justin like you take that to heart and you don't be, and you do it because you don't want to let your teammate down you felt like you feel like you let your teammate down so then coming back in this 2020 season it's not necessarily the chip on his shoulder that I'm going to prove people. It's the fact that, you know, as a student athlete, as an athlete on a team, we do it for our teammate. You know, the good ones do, right? They, they go out and they, they work on their craft 
for their teammate because when called upon, you are responding. You want to go make the play when coach puts you in that position, right? And you want to have the trust of your coach by working on those things that they can call a defense or call a play because they know that you're going to execute, right? And so he's going to take that suffering that he felt, that trial and tribulation, and just be better for it. But also, not only him's going to, he's going to be better, but he's going to be pushing his own room because they're watching how he's working, right, to make them better. And that's why, you know, the beauty of me playing with two first-round draft pick linebackers and me even coming to Ohio State, I wanted to go where the best of the best were because ultimately I wanted competition and I wanted them to make me better. You know what I'm saying? I was a good linebacker. I wasn't a great, I was a good college football linebacker, right? That played with great players on a great defense of which they made me better. And I tell this to people all the time, I would much rather be a good player on the number one defense in the country than a great player playing somewhere else, period, right? But that's just my makeup. And we all need to go through these things in bit, like in business when we all become adults outside of college football, like we want those things because we're the sum of our life's experiences and we know what that feels like. So in business, when you suffer a loss, right? And that could potentially be a sale. It could be potentially not working out a, a deal for somebody to acquire your company. You're going to take that fuel, you adapt and adjust, and you're going to keep attacking and dominate. But we learn those lessons that we have in, from college football, right? Like that's the beauty of high level athletics, right? And that's what separates, you know, the good from the great, right? How do we handle that adversity, that suffering for down the road, it's just gonna enhance us so we can always add value. Yeah, I think that's with any team sport. I think most athletes probably remember the bad games better or more than they remember like the really good games because, ah, you know, that's what drives them and that's what eats at them you know, in that off season or when they're doing something to, to better themselves or better their team. So I think that's just one of those things that you learn growing up in, in team sports. And I think that's why it's so important for kids to play multiple different team sports because you just get those lessons and, you know, you learn how to, all right, we're not going to win them all. Let's take what we did here and learn from it. So next season or next game, we can do it better and, you know, have a different outcome. Jay-Z, if you want, before we wrap up here, you can ask Berm about his uh, high school state championship game. <laughs> you know, it's all good. <laughs> oh, how did it go? I mean, was was there one? Just we just want to balance the scales here, right, Berm? <laughs> I mean, if you're talking, if you're hey, talking, tell me about the worst things that happened in your life as a college if, football player. If you're talking about, if you're talking about painful losses, you will never experience one more painful than my senior year of high school in our state championship game. But never. I mean, we were up uh, five to three in the bottom of the seventh inning. I'm sorry, seven to three in the bottom of the seventh inning and gave up five runs on four walks, four errors, and That's one hit and awful. lost eight and lost eight to seven. That's awful. Now, were, were you pitching? No, because I, I pitched the first five innings and had <laughs> the, the state had its 10 innings and 72-hour yeah. rule. And I had to pitch. Uh, we, we went into 10 innings in the state semi, and I had to pitch five through 10 in that game and then went and started the, this championship game and left with a seven to three lead. Um, and um, I mean, it was just, I can't, it, it was so brutal, like <laughs> so brutal. And, and the fact is because sports is such, uh, such a bitch that it comes down to these things, right? Like we, we had four errors, four walks, but if it wasn't a three, two pitch on the last play of the game, 
we still would have won. Like it was seven to six and it was a three, two pitch and the bases were loaded. So everyone was running and it was a ground ball to our shortstop. The turn was there. It, it was an easy six, four, three. And the runner from first base took out the second baseman. So his throw went off. I didn't really want you to tell uh, the whole story again. I, I, I'm enjoying this. It's brutal. It, it, it's one of, I mean, we were the 16th ranked team in the country. We were playing against Hamilton, who was number two in the country. And I mean, we were 29 and one, they were 20, they were 30 and 0. It was, it was an incredible game and heartbreak. I mean, absolutely heartbreaking. On our road oh, trip, I, I could tell you that story word for word. I've heard it so many times <laughs> when we're just sitting in the car. It's brutal. It's brutal. So, I, I didn't necessarily want to just fill out the rest of uh, Letterman Live brought to you by Roosters with Firms High School Exploits. but 20, 23 uh, years ago now. 23 years ago. Man. Time never let it go. All three that you guys have made it, that those losses stick with you. Uh, mine will be uh, Saturday's two-man scramble where I lost uh, three straight bogeys, 16, 17, and 18, to lose by oh. one. That's oh. the most – it happened on Saturday. It's not recency bias. It's the most painful loss I think I've ever suffered. I will I'll not get over it, but uh, I'll be back out Saturday to make up for it. Uh, and we'll be back next week uh, with Roosters. Uh, stay tuned. We're hoping to have some plans to maybe get back out into the wild, get these guys uh, some mac and cheese bites as yeah. things get going. Uh, it's not 100% certain, but Roosters are putting together their plan uh, to expand and get, get people back on the patios, get pat, pat, uh, social distancing back inside. Uh, so we can go all out and eat and we can have Letterman live there and not get rid of this Zoom uh, and get a little bit more interaction in person, which we've all been looking forward to so much. Uh, appreciate Jeremy Birmingham, Justin Zwick, Anthony Schlegel, the difference, attack and dominate. Hey, next uh, week, you ask me about all these people talking about our linebackers. You put that on there and you tell people get ready because I'm going to melt some faces off. Sometime. It's coming. I didn't want to. I didn't want to use it all up today. I want it. I yeah, want you to bring that. You did that. Save that for the live show because I will melt. Yeah. Them old crossfit and faces off linebackers coming hot so stay stay tuned for that so more plans as we get uh try and get back to normal here at letterman row and letterman live brought to you by roosters thanks for hanging out guys we'll see you next time bye-bye